Hey guys, this is Hunter Levine, and thank you for listening to the Captain's Collective Podcast. Brought to you by Skinny Water Culture, Florida Fishing Products, Turtle Box Audio, Costa Sunglasses, and Orvis Fly Fishing. Recently, I got a chance to sit down with Drew Wilson, who's well known in the fishing community for his tattoos and art. In this podcast, we discuss how he's worked to merge those two worlds together in his life and angling. I ran into Drew a few years back in Florida, and we hit it off, but we weren't able to make a podcast work until we both found ourselves at Marsh Fest a few days early to fish. If you pay close attention, you might hear the sounds of sizzling bacon and barking dogs in the background as we recorded this podcast over a cup of coffee. I'm excited for you guys to hear Drew's story and to listen to a few lessons that he's learned along the way. Thank you for listening. This is the Captain's Collective. I'll say it's anything you choose, I think it picks you. You know, it's genetic. Let everything else stop in the world and just be quiet. And it's amazing where your mind goes at that point um, and where it doesn't go. And sometimes just that quiet space is is what we need, and especially in this day and age. You have a fly rod in your hand. It's this tool that takes you to beautiful places. You meet hopefully wonderful people. And it's just this cherry on top of this outdoor adventure. When the fish is coming, that shot within a shot, that timer starts. No one else knew anything anyway, and you just might definitely making it up if you're going along. But so what Grandpa and Dad would tell me is like, all right, where's the old big trout laying out there? Where's his shaving cream on the water? Where's he been shaving this morning? Out? So look for his shaving cream on the water, and that's where he's gonna be. All right. Well, good morning, Drew. Good to hang out with you. Go grab some coffee Got this it. morning. Got the Alliance Coffee here in uh, St. Augustine and. Alliance Growers. Alliance Growers. The finest Kenyan coffee in town. <laughs> and you were saying it's so great because you're just tired of being on the road going to all these divided growers. Yeah, shops. I like that they finally got their act together as a group. Little couple of allies. Yeah, I think they watched the Avengers movie and they thought we could be the Avengers of coffee beans. And if we could just come together, we could defeat Big, big Bean. It's probably just because they're Kenyan. <laughs> and... They've had a lot of struggles that I don't understand, and I, I probably shouldn't make fun of their name. That's their second language. Yeah. You know, so maybe they thought it was, like, a really solid name. But it is good coffee. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's good, good and, coffee. Yeah. And the guy was such a sweetheart. Yeah. No, it's it, it's been a good morning, man. We've had some bacon frying up and getting ready to fish day two and going into Marsh Fest, which you were saying, is, your, is this your first Florida show that you've set up at? Yes, for for products and stuff. I've been to iCast, uh, yeah. but you know you can't sell anything at iCast. Um, I've spent very little time in Florida mm-hmm. in my life. You know, I've I've fished uh, I fished some in Florida, but I it's a state that just I haven't spent as much time as I probably should in. Yeah, you were saying at one point in your life you were tattooing in St. Pete. Yeah, that was just last year, and I was just doing a guest spot there. Mm-hmm. I was there for like just a week, uh, but I had a blast. I love St. Pete. It was charming town. Reminds me of Brooklyn without having to be in New York. And uh, it's like Brooklyn by mm. the beach. Uh, there's good food everywhere, good coffee, nice people. Tattooing was good. And then I could get off work at the shop and go catch a tarpon on foot. and Just yeah. like Brooklyn. 
Yeah, just like Brookline, pretty much. <laughs> Minus the tarpon. Yeah. Um, so for those who maybe don't know, you're an artist, tattooer, fisherman, YouTube video maker. You got a great uh, YouTube series. I wouldn't. I, I Thank you. Uh, I never want to be like... I feel like I need to explain to anyone, like, if I tell them I have a YouTube, I have to be like, but I'm not a YouTuber. Yeah. Because I don't... You dabble. I dabble. I'm a dabbler in a lot of things, uh, mostly because I dabble in too many things, so I can't focus on one of them long enough to, like, get it going. But, mm -hmm. yeah, I do like my YouTube series. I just wish that I spent more energy on it. I have four of them filmed right now that I just have to sit down and edit, and some of them have been filmed for, like, months. And I'm while I can, I can make the video, I can't... I don't have like the concentration to yeah, sit and edit. Give give everybody the rundown so people okay. fish come in, they fish with you, and there's a a, a wage of that. Of yeah, sorts. yeah. So it's called fishing for tattoos. I take people fishing, and then they have to get a tattoo at the end of the series based on their fishing day. Sometimes there's a bet. Sometimes it's just depending on the person. Uh, sometimes it's just something that commemorates the trip. It is. It varies person to person. I don't have like a fixed template. It, it's because uh, I've had some people on it who like I want to make a bet with them, but they were just covered in so many ridiculous tattoos. It's like, what am I going to give them that is they, they haven't already given themselves? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did one with a guy named David Gravette, who's a pro skateboarder, and guys like in the Jackass movie and stuff like that. And like yeah. he uh, is covered in stupid bad tattoos. He's got some good ones in the mix, but yeah, what are you going to bet that guy? He's got. So what did you do? Uh, we went red fishing, and uh, we were all really hurt. Uh, I had a broke right, my, my forearm was broken, or my wrist was on my right arm. So I was in a brace, so I couldn't move my wrist. So I'm trying to cast it like bull reds and like heavy wind without being able to move snap. my wrist. No power snap. Yeah, and Dave had four bulging discs in his oh back. The guy's had like a bunch of surgeries. He's, he's destroyed his body skateboarding. Mm-hmm. But he'd, he'd like hurt himself cleaning out his gutters. And he came on the trip anyway. He couldn't even stand upright. And so I pick him up at the airport. He's got a cane and everything, got a black eye. Like it's all all busted up looking. And we went fishing. And yeah, he ended up getting a redfish like on crutches with a black eye. And it was I just, saw that, yeah. just to reflect I didn't know the, the trip. Story, yeah. Yeah, just to reflect the trip. It just varies. There's a few of them that have been like kind of like hokey and like you know high stakes betting but most of them i try to keep it pretty light because i also don't want to send someone home with a tattoo that they're going to hate yeah you know i don't want to be the guy pressuring someone into getting something that they don't want but i do want to have the element of a wager you know sometimes so it's it's tricky I'm trying to figure it out still yeah so you grew up in arkansas before you were tattooing before you were fishing you were skating is I, was that all, right? I was always fishing. You were always fishing. Yeah. All right, give us the childhood of, of Drew. What did that look uh, like? We were, without discrediting my parents, because I have very hardworking parents, I got good parents, but we were very poor. Mm -hmm. And fishing, we already had fishing poles, just like Zebco 33 button reels. That's an assumption that they were Zebcos. They could have been whatever. They were probably yeah. yard sale rods, really thinking about it. But we fished because it was already paid for. Mm-hmm. And that's all I wanted to do. Like all the early home videos of me at age two and three and stuff like that are us sitting by the side of a pond fishing with a button reel. And my parents loved that I loved that and my sister loved it because it was free. So they could keep us entertained and happy and all they had to do was pay the gas to get to the pond that was like three miles from my house. 
And from that point on, it was all I ever wanted to do, really. I started skateboarding when I was 10 through fishing. Uh, my childhood best friend, Justin Clark, introduced me to skateboarding, and I'd met him through fishing. We were like, went to the same school, and you know, you're kids and you're talking about what you like to do. Mm-hmm. So we'd go fish the creek, we'd ride our bikes to the creek and stuff like that and fish. And he started skateboarding, put me on a skateboard. Through skateboarding, I met the guy who introduced me into tattooing. Uh, Jed Ferguson started me working in a tattoo shop. And then through tattooing, I met the guy who introduced me to fly fishing. Okay. And I'll leave him unnamed because he, he sucks. Um, but yeah, kind of all fed into each other. And then now at 35, that's all my life revolves around is those things. Mm-hmm. Which is funny to be that true to your childhood self. Yeah, and I I was talking to you about this last night over dinner, but I feel like you do a lot of brim in various siblings of the brims, you know, for tattoos. Is that rooted in your childhood? Am I overreading that? Is that just the uh, people you hang out with? Well, most everything I do is like based on what I either think is funny or clever or what sells. And so I like doing, I always call them bluegill, like brim is a word in the South, but as far as I know, which I'm not by any means a fish biologist, but as far as I know, none of those fish are actually called brim, mm. you know, uh, but I always, I, I classify every sunfish as a bluegill, even though there's a million different ones. And I feel like it's everyone's first fish where I live. So a lot of people do get them tattooed on them. It's not like I'm doing... Most of the tattoos I do aren't by like my choice. I don't choose what people get unless they're doing my series. So people bring those to me a lot Yeah, uh, who are willing to get them. I had a woman talk to me a couple days ago about getting a bluegill, bluegill tattoo just because she saw I was tattooed. She had no clue who I was. She had no clue that, that I'd do that kind of thing. It's just a woman who saw I was tattooed and started telling me that she wants to get a bluegill tattooed on her. And I, I think that where I live, that's just kind of the roots. Everyone's grandpa who took them fishing, they mm-hmm. caught bluegill. My mom, when she took me fishing when I was a kid, we caught bluegill. Yeah. Uh, and that was just part of it. So that's what's – I think it's just regional. But I've been lucky enough to travel a lot for my career. And everywhere you go, I like I do different fish based on where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in Texas, I do rainbows and largemouth. If I'm in Colorado, I do browns and cutthroats. If I'm in Montana, I do browns and brooks. It just depends on where you're, where you're at. And so in Arkansas, we have a pretty wide variety of fish that are there, but a lot of bluegill. Is there something that you haven't got a chance to tattoo yet that you're really itching to? Maybe not species, but idea. No, no. I like I get everything out of you know. I, I feel like if that was my only medium. I might have that, but because I have so many different types of art that I can do that if I think of uh, if I think of an idea that I think is clever or that I really want, I'll just draw it and make a sticker of it or make a painting or like sometimes I'll just draw stuff and crumble it up and throw it away where it's just like I just wanted to see if that worked. But I mean I have a list of ideas on my phone that are all like range from like normal to ridiculous mm-hmm. and and there's never a time that I'm like just looking for skin. Yeah. I, I just, and if I wanted to, I could just post a picture of a drawing and someone would come get it. But I, I think the point in my career where I was just really wanting to do certain designs, it has changed. Yeah. So you're a bluegill Zupco 
kid turned skater turned tattoo artist turned artist yeah um for you how has your fishing looked as your life has kind of evolved like you started with the you said you got introduced to fly fishing how has that kind of factored in as oh man um it changes every single day the way that i want to do things changes every day and I live in a place that's got a lot of diversity and I can travel, you know, if I wanted to go fish saltwater, I can drive to saltwater in a day, you know? So I feel like, you know, you have your guys who are like, I'm a, I'm a tarpon guy or mm-hmm. I'm a redfish guy. Or I'm a largemouth guy in Texas, dude. There's so many guys who have never fished anything but largemouth bass. I have people come from Texas to Russellville to get tattooed, and I'll I'll be talking to them about you know where they fish. Yeah, and I've I've had guys who've never fished a river, they've never fished a creek, but they're driving five hours to get a fishing tattoo. Mm-hmm. You know, who are just that dedicated. I've never been dedicated to a single species uh, or, or like to to just a, a certain style of mm-hmm. uh, fly fishing or as far as practical application goes. So I I vary a lot day to day, and. It's been such a large part of my life, and I am lucky that I get to think about it when I'm going to bed or think about it when I wake up. And so I, I guess I, I guess there's really not a way for me to describe yeah, what it's like now. Have you always been into chasing different species? I mean, last night we were talking, and you were we'll, – we'll get a breakdown of this, but talking about tilapia – you know, yeah, and yeah, how yeah. you, how you quote unquote pioneered. I didn't say that about tilapia. I was I'm talking kidding. about sheep's head, but, yeah. uh, but I did figure out how to catch tilapia, um, on a fly, which I guess that's a thing here, but I was in Texas at the time and I was just in my camper living in Texas for a few months and I'm from Arkansas. We don't have tilapia. There's like a couple lakes that had them for a while in like the eighties. So we do have a state record, but they're not readily available because they can't handle our cold at least as far as I know, I'm not a biologist, but I, I feel like it's always been what species was available. Like when I was a kid, it was bluegill and bass. And yeah. then when I had a vehicle and could drive and had a fly rod, it was, I wanted to go learn trout. So I was driving in the trout rivers all the time. And then once I got better at fly fishing, I got introduced to saltwater and I got pretty uh, ate up with that for a while. So it was all I wanted to do, but I wouldn't, it's not like every day I wake up and I'm like, what species am I going to target today? It's a lot about like, oh, where should I go? We'll go figure it out, you know? Yeah. But yeah, the tilapia thing was, uh, it was purely born of like it being easy access because we were staying in an RV park in Texas and there was a creek right around the corner that had them and I couldn't catch them and that made me want to catch them, yeah. you know, because they weren't just readily eating everything I threw at them. And what do you like? So when you're in that situation, you're you're traveling around and you want to catch something new. What is your? How do you like to figure stuff out? Because I can tell that you enjoy putting together the puzzle pieces. And I like the whether puzzle it's pieces. you know little sheep's head on jetties or tilapia or whatever it may be. What what does that progression usually look like for you? Oh man, sometimes I'll just go and just put in the time and try a bunch of different stuff. Sometimes I'll just watch the fish. Uh, for the sheep's head on the jetties, I had to like watch bait fishermen i couldn't i didn't just figure it out on my own because it's like there's bait fishermen catching these fish like crazy just tight lining shrimp and putting them you know down in the rocks so how can i figure out how to replicate that with a fly without it being bastardized you know uh so 
sometimes there's that aspect where it's like people have been bait fishing for hundreds of years and here here we are thousands of years you know and yeah and here we are like trying to ignore all that information as fly fishermen and i think there's a little bit of a you know we like to turn our nose up at bait fishing sometimes and there's so much information there so for yeah for sheep's head i just went and watched that and i didn't only catch little ones i want to correct that because i was getting into some really nice fish out there uh allegedly i'm just allegedly yeah but i mean I, i didn't catch like anything that would be like a record but i got a bunch of 20 inch sheep's head off the rocks and that's fine with me yeah got broke off by a bunch of 20 inch sheep's head too in the rocks yeah it's uh i think there there is something that you were talking earlier about how people will kind of find one species and really dial in on that um and then you have people who are a lot more i've met both doing this podcast traveling around like people who are like and it's and there's something cool about somebody being obsessive about a certain fish and like really wanting to know that fish so yeah, well it's almost, absolutely you know but then there's you know there's almost like this childlike thing that's like i don't care the size of the fish i just want to explore and do different things and i remember being a kid and like making little lists of fish or, or animals that i wanted to hunt and you know i mean i think almost every kid that fishes you know they have a bucket list you know before yeah. you even know what a bucket list is for you you know and as you've come into this this group of people who fish, how do you try to fight to keep that child child likeness with, with your approach? Do you ever feel pressured? Uh, ew. Y- y- not, I only feel pressured when I'm taking other people fishing. Cause I don't mind not catching anything, you know, but if I have taking someone, I want them to have success and have fun. I think I would, I don't know. I, there's all those sayings about like the different stages of being a fisherman or being yeah. a fly fisherman where it's like, first you just want to catch a fish. Then you want to catch a lot of fish. Then you want the big fish. Then you want the smart fish. Then you just want to go fishing. I think there's uh, probably several stages after that. I'm in the one where I alternate every day where it's like, Oh, today I just want to catch a fish or today I just want to catch a big fish. And I never know until I go. Mm. And I still, I do still get excited about stuff where like if I'm going trout fishing I could have gone smallmouth fishing, but instead I go to a trout river. But I see a bass in the trout river. I'm going to want to try to catch it because it's not supposed to be there. And and I think that kind of mindset of like just being opportunistic is what keeps me excited about it. Honestly, I don't fish as much as I should anymore because I'm always hosting people. A lot of my clients who are coming to get tattooed come from out of state and... I you know I actually made the mistake of talking about this on a podcast once and had a bunch of people come who I didn't know from a podcast. But I'm always hosting a stranger in my home essentially, and I'll take them fishing and then do a tattoo on them. And mm-hmm. it's not always just for my series. It's just if you're going to travel from New Jersey to Arkansas to get a tattoo, I want to make sure that you're not just showing up as a client. I want you to feel like a friend who felt welcome, and I want you to have a really good story. And most of the time, I'm just taking people to my water. And putting them on fish. And so that also makes it exciting for me when I get to go, I yeah. feel. Because for a long time I fished seven days a week. And now I only catch a fish two days a week. But I'm still out there a lot. It's yeah. just with people who are doing it. And when you have someone who is less skilled than you or they're fishing for a species they've never caught, getting them on it is more exciting, I think, than doing it yourself, if that makes sense. No, definitely. Like if I have someone who can't cast catch a really nice fish and I you know I I would rather that and that also keeps me pretty excited about it I think 
So, so zero in a little bit on when people grow up loving to fish and I do interviews with people, they're trying to figure out what is fishing going to look like in my life as an adult, because I got to get a quote unquote real job. I got to start paying for my bills. And a lot of people, if they really love fishing, they start to guide a lot of times because that's the only thing in their mind where they can work in it, where they can work in it. Yeah. And then, you know, some people, they have an uncle who's a firefighter or they know somebody who has a job that's really flexible and they go that route where they're like, I don't necessarily want to guide, but I want to have the flexibility to be able to fish a lot. Because if you're working Monday to Friday, eight to five, even even if you live close to a stream or you live close to the coast, I mean, you're still very limited. So talk to me about how as you went into adulthood, kind of how you made the decision to do the tattoo stuff and, you know, was that how, how influenced was that with the desire to, to fish? Okay. I would say that having the desire to fish and trying to make time for fishing was not actually a concern at all because tattooing, particularly in your first 10 years, is extremely demanding. Mm -hmm. You have to be thinking about it all the time and it has to be in the forefront. You can't let it take the back burner. So whenever I got into that fishing was not the concern and they were not bridged yet. I mean, I tattooed for a long time before I put them together. I feel like for most people though, who love fishing, I don't think they have to become guides. I I understand what you're saying where people want to take, uh, the two things they love and try to fit or the thing they love and try to figure out how to make a living so they can be around it more. But some of the most dedicated fishermen I know work extremely normal jobs. Yeah. There's a kid in Fayetteville uh, who I'm not, I'm not even, I don't even know him. I've just met him once at, uh, who works at a camera store there who fishes probably seven days a week. And he just keeps it as a priority, you know. And so every morning he wakes up, he goes fishing before work, and then he goes night fishing at night. And he, he doesn't work anywhere near fishing. He works like a, a rigid, fixed hour retail job and just fishes so much. So I don't think that you have to marry the two yeah. to show dedication. I do think that tattooing for me, I've always, all humans are in, not just me, but all humans are in pursuit of freedom. Like you're looking for freedom. He's looking for freedom. Everyone you know is in one way or another trying to find freedom. Now it might be financial freedom. It might be sexual freedom. It might be like just freeing up time. There's so many different varieties. And I think once you achieve one, you start looking for the next. I don't think there's ever a point where someone's trying to become less free. Mm -hmm. And I feel like tattooing to me had a lot of appeal because there's a lot of freedom that comes with it. You can go to work and tell your boss that you are out late partying and he's going to not care. You know, you can tell a customer to to kick rocks and like your boss usually won't care as long as you're being like semi-professional and representing their shop well. And so to me, there was a lot of appeal there. Plus you can be covered in tattoos and have a job. And in the South, that's a little more acceptable now, but for years, like if you had your forms tattooed, you couldn't get a job anywhere. There was a lot of freedom there too, where it's like you can look however you want. And so that was the appeal to me originally to get into that. Only later in life, when I started to really marry uh, fishing and tattooing together, did I feel the freedom that I had from my job to like work anywhere and to have like a more flexible schedule. Mm. And really only in the past three years since COVID hit, 
uh, have I like really found the freedom of like time that I thought I would have, uh, you know, earlier in life where I can take a few days off in a row without planning it and go fishing, you yeah. know, go mess around or I can go do a guest spot somewhere and leave time to fish. But originally there was no consideration of me trying, me trying to get this job so I could have yeah. more freedom to fish. It was just something that ended up matching up later on. Take me to that moment where things began to merge for you, your childhood love for fishing and your current occupation of tattooing. What did that season look like and what did that do for your fishing? <laughs> okay. Uh, it, how to begin with that? It was intentional. I didn't do it on accident. But it wasn't like a really strategic move on my end. Really like starting to do fishing art and fishing tattoos was super good for me for a multitude of reasons. My original plan was like, oh, I like fishing. I love, you know, American traditional Japanese style tattooing. If I try to draw some of these and some people end up getting them tattooed, I'll have more anglers in my chair, more people that I like to talk to. And I'll get to do some stuff that I like to look at. So mm-hmm. that was my original thought. It was very simple. And I thought that maybe if I did a good enough job and if I drew enough of this stuff and painted enough of it, eventually I might be able to do one a week. You know, that was my whole game plan was if I could just do one fishing tattoo a week, I would be happy and I would, you know, get to have some camaraderie with a, a new type of clientele. And so I did. I, I painted a lot. And I drew a lot of stuff and I started, the reason I started making stickers and stuff was not because I thought I should sell things. It was just to have fishing art to post online, just to have uh, recognition for something. Cause there's no recognition without repetition. It's like a saying in the graffiti world, it translates through all of art. You got to hit the same nail on the head a lot before it drives. And so my original goal was like, maybe if I do this enough, I can, I can sell some of these as tattoos. I never thought that I would get to where I did three a day, five days a week. I I thought that it would only be like maybe one of my clients a week. And I was booked out six months at the point that Mm -hmm. I started doing this, uh, doing normal people tattoos, doing like angel wing back pieces and stuff like that. And whenever I started trying to push fishing art, I was just looking for an escape from my career because I was getting kind of ground down. I was just so busy. Yeah. And I thought it would be just like a little bit of happiness in the middle of like a hard work day, which I always loved tattooing. And, and I'm the people who got the angel wing back pieces. I enjoyed my time with Did them. Did you do Justin Anderson's angel wing piece? Or? <laughs> He's laughing in the background. but Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 But, you know, it's this that kind of thing where it's like you – I, I never dis, I never dislike my time with my clients or mm-hmm. anything. It's just that drawing that stuff – can become monotonous and when you're working for 25 hours shading wings on someone's back and they're hurting it's it's not fun uh, and you can't talk to your client and stuff like that because they're in pain and they're facing away from you and originally I was just looking for a little bit of escape from the monotony of like being a busy normal tattooer and so I, I thought yeah maybe I could do one of these a week and it grew really quickly and it got to a point now like we lived on the road in 2021 and in 2021 I did two tattoos that weren't fish in the whole year. And I, now it's at a point where it's 
that's all that anyone asks me for anymore. Mm. People ask me now on occasion, they'll say, do you ever do anything that's not a fish? And it's like, no one asks for anything that's not a fish anymore. Yeah. You know, and not that I'm against it. You yeah, know? yeah. I have gotten lucky now that I can be a little bit more picky. So when people ask me for an angel wing back piece, I can just tell them to. I'm just not that guy, pal. Yeah, I'm not that guy. Go to someone else. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm always kind about it, you know, because I, I'm thankful that anyone wants to get tattooed by me still. And, mm. But I also don't do it full time anymore after COVID hit. And I started really because we lost our jobs for three months, you know, in Arkansas and couldn't yeah. do our jobs. And so I started doing graphic design from home and pushing my own online store. And then when it went to going back to work, I had replaced my income. So when I went back to the shop after three months of not hearing from anyone and all that, and everybody just wants you to fall right back into the same routine, I was like, I don't have to do this anymore. I, I unintentionally through that found that freedom. Yeah. You know, I feel like it was it was just kind of lucky, luck of the draw. I started doing fishing tattoos more than 10 years ago, and it took root seven years ago, and maybe eight, and then now that's that's just about it at this point. This last five years have been really kind of wild. Has that changed how it is for you when it comes to your time on the water in your fishing? No, no, not at all. I, I, I mean, I'm always thinking about my career. Like, it's not like I'm just sitting out there thinking about tattooing all day. Yeah. But like, when you're fishing and you do fish art for a living, and particularly some of the goofy stuff I do, mm. you're like you're when you're fishing and you're kind of you're paying attention to what you're doing, but your brain wonders a lot. I mean, yeah. it's escapism for all of us. There is times where I'll be out on the water and something will happen and I'll be like, I got to go. I got to go do that right now. Like where I'll get inspired about something. But it doesn't change my my application of fishing. Yeah. You know, I it doesn't change that at all. I do get a lot of time with fishermen like and or anglers as a in general in chairs. So I do get a lot of information and I, I get a lot of people that just want to talk to me about fishing pretty much all day, every day. And which is, which is cool. So that has helped my fishing for sure. My career has helped my fishing in that aspect where if I go to Montana or I go to where, you know, Wyoming or whatever, someone's going to give me a Creek that no one knows about because of my career. So that has made a big impact on my fishing because I've gotten given a lot of great water that I should have not had access to or should have not found out about. Mm -hmm. But as far as me going out and fishing, aside from, accidentally finding inspiration sometimes it doesn't affect it too much so during covid you and your wife traveled around in an airstream yes and you got a chance to do a lot of fishing in a lot of different places when you look back at that time period are there any memories or or trips along the way that really stand out to you yeah there's a lot we we were we moved a lot though we moved way too much we because we didn't know any better you yeah. know when you first start doing something like that if you don't really when you don't know what you're doing it's hard to make the right decisions and, and we moved way too much so I didn't get to explore as much as I should in some places I sh- I, I do want to specify that uh we we had an old airstream we had like a '90s Excel which is the biggest one I did not want an airstream. Uh, my wife did not want to live on the road 
and her condition was, if we're going to go, we're going to do it in an Airstream because I want to love our home. I want to be proud of what we're in. And she did that because she knew I couldn't afford one. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but I found an old one that was like big. It was like the biggest one they ever made. And they're actually the cheapest ones you can buy. Wow. And so I, I got one for less than what I would have bought like a normal white box camper for. And that's, I, I, I like to clear that up because I don't want people to think I was rolling around the country in a $150,000 camper. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of places and a lot of really good memories. We did, we have a cat. And our cat was on the road with us. We have two dogs. And that was during the really heavy heat wave in 2021 that we were out west for. So we couldn't leave our animals in the trailer because we have one air conditioning unit. And those old ACs will freeze up if you run them nonstop. And when they freeze up, they shut off. And it was 110 degrees outside. So if we left our cat to go fishing and the air conditioning froze, he could die. And so I, we didn't get to explore as much as I would have liked for the time frame and the area. But I still I still did get a whole lot of good memories. We I mean I my favorite fish to catch on a fly rod is bull trout. Mm -hmm. I love them. I like absolutely love them and I got to do bull trout fishing in several states, which was cool. And then what about it to you as somebody who doesn't do a lot of freshwater? What's the draw there for you, you think? Everybody has, you know, we're talking earlier about the fish that like everybody has their fish, you know, mm -hmm. like, or some people have their fish, uh, it, it, where it's just in their blood or it just resonates with them. Bull trout live in beautiful areas and they live in gorgeous water that moves usually really quickly. And they just, they eat the biggest streamers, like they eat the biggest stuff. And they don't like to work for it. So you don't have to like strip it super fast or anything. You just dead drift a 10 inch streamer to a fish and they usually will eat it like they're eating a tiny bug. And so all of that's really cool for me. I feel like I have a better understanding of them than I have of a lot of fish. And, and I haven't had that much time with them either because they live across the country from me. So I'd, I haven't got to spend as much time with that fish as I'd like. But yeah, that one does resonate with me. There's a few that resonate with me, yeah. but those, I just, something about fishing for them makes me feel uh, whole, you know, yeah. where, and there's a level of like validation. They're not that hard to catch really, but like, yeah. but some places they are. And when you get them to do the, ex they act the same in every river they're in, you know, it's, it's like, a, like redfish, redfish will eat if you put it in front of their face, mm -hmm. you know, and you know that. So it's like, I just, as long as I don't spook the fish, he's going to eat it if I put it in front of his face, you know, and that's the, that's how it is. And bull trout are kind of the same. I think for me, if I can drift the same fly, it doesn't need to be different. If I can take the same fly to tender, you know, however many different states they're in and they're going to eat it if I put it the right way to and make the right presentation. And yeah, I just feel, I feel confident with them. And I think that's, that's why they resonate. I, I don't, I really don't know how to describe it. You know, you have yeah. fish that you relate to, and that's one of them that I relate to. Yeah, I think for some people along the way, too, there's something about understanding the behavior of a fish to, to where you almost, you feel like, you know, you hear people talk about, these are my business partners. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like there there is a, it sounds way more... Um, way more dramatic than I mean it, but there's a relationship that people form with the fish where it's like, I understand you. Like, it, I feel like there's a, a sense in which 
I have an understanding of this fish's whole life cycle, behaviors, patterns, and you know that is a it's it's really fun to figure something out, but it's also fun to deeply know something. Well, there's something to be said about reliability in all aspects of your life, like your trusty truck that you know is going to start every time or your confident friend who's gonna show up when you need them. There's so many things to say about that, and I should totally knock on wood when I talk about this because talking about the reliability of a fish that lives across the country for me that I don't fish for that often, Yeah. so I don't wanna make a trip up there and come up empty-handed because I was overly confident. But I like that if I'm in a new state, I'm going to fish a new piece of water, and I know that that fish lives in that water, I like that I know how to find them and what they're gonna eat without me ever seeing the river, you know? And that makes it fun. I don't, you know, it gets kind of boring sometimes where you just do the same thing over and over. But when you're going to a new place, seeing if your trick that you know still works there is is always validating. And I think that the reliability of that fish, plus they're big, they're, they're big fish and they pull hard-ish. Mm. They don't jump, you know, redfish don't jump. and so they're not a total package fish. Yeah. I feel like a total package fish eats aggressively, pulls hard, jumps high, is beautiful. There's, you know, those four components, and they got three of them, you know. Pretty and, good. Yeah. Yeah, which is good. Peacock bass, total package fish. Yeah. You know, eats aggressively, pulls hard, jumps high, is beautiful. Tarpon can be a total package fish. Sometimes it's not the eat that really that you're looking for, you yeah. know. But, yeah, redfish are... They eat so aggressively. They pull so hard. They're beautiful fish. They don't jump. You yeah. Know? Still a great fish. I still love spending time with them. And I don't, I, I most of my favorite fish are not total package fish. So I, I'm not discrediting any of them. You yeah. Know? I just, those are, I think, the, the boxes to check. You know, living in a beautiful place is only a bonus. Yeah. And yeah, bull trout live in beautiful places. So when you were traveling around or just in over the years in general, just having fun getting into different species of fish, what's been the hardest fish for you to figure out? Grass carp. Yeah, grass carp are the hardest fish for me to figure out, which is crazy because they live so close to my house now. And I still hang with them. Like I, I hang out with grass carp usually two days a week right now. And there's days where I feel like I'm – a savant and I've got it figured out and I'm the man. And then there's days where I cannot figure out what's going on and I'm surrounded by 50 pound fish that don't want anything to do with me. I still haven't figured them out. So I'm still working on it. What's your, what's your main go-to trick for them? There's not one. It's just being there at the right day Uh, because there's days where they're just temperamental. And I think that's the trick is just putting in enough time to be there at the right time. Now, someone who's listening to this is a savant at grass carp, and they know all the tricks, and I would encourage them to reach out to me and tell me. But, you know, it's also tricky because it depends on where you're at. And people, uh, you know, I'll reach out to people and try to get information, and they'll tell me what to fish with, and it just doesn't work where I'm at. And maybe I'm just not as good as I think, or maybe my presentations aren't as good. And I haven't fished with anyone who is just so good at carp. I always call it being carpy who can show me exactly how to do it and have a trick that works all the time. But I feel like for me right now, the most effective thing is just having a really, like a good enough cast and understanding my flies sink rate with the rate that the fish is cruising to put it right in their face so that they don't have to, uh, I want like a natural fall for my fly. I don't, I don't want them to, uh, 
Miller found a squirrel. I yeah, think. So is that I, what it was or a bird? It was a squirrel. Yeah, there's lizards everywhere too. He's 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 on track. my dogs here, and uh, he um, he's still working on his relationship with squirrels. He's he's not a big fan of them. He's trying to keep us. He's safe. a dog. He's well, supposed he's trying to, to keep us safe. You know, these squirrels are they're shifty little characters. They're small, but they're you see them sneaking behind you. You know. And yeah, you can't trust them. They're not trustworthy. But yeah, I think my my all my success now is based on casting sink rate and just getting lucky just mm-hmm. having it f- get right even with the fish's face as he's swimming so he can just open up his mouth and eat it i i can't get them to pick stuff up off bottom yet i'm i'm still it's happened but i just don't have any consistency and so i'm still figuring that out and i love a challenge it's why yeah. i like trying to fish for him so much is because i absolutely love a challenge they uh they're a tricky one the tilapia were really fun for me because I didn't just want to catch a couple. I wanted to figure it out. And so that one was cool because they're you read online they're vegetarians. They're not. They're just opportunistic. And so, like, people catch tilapia on worms and bait. I, after reading they were vegetarians and after, like, trying to f- dial it in, I took a, a trout egg, like a fly. It's called a Y2K, so it's like a weighted egg. And has a bead on top and then just yarn. It's yellow and orange. And uh, I smashed one super flat, like, to, like, spread it out. And I would just, like, cast it and strip it so slow. And I started catching catching a lot of tilapia doing that. And it was cool to be able to go fish for 20 minutes and catch 10 or 15 of them after spending a month, you know, like, of going and fishing for a few hours and getting none. Dog's in the house now. Dog's in the house. That squirrel. He, well, he came right over our head after we talked about him. He was in that tree over there, and then he ended up sitting on top of it. Have us. you done a squirrel tattoo yet? I have, yeah. If yeah. it's if it's a, if it's it's an image, I've probably put it on someone. I've done <laughs> everything you can say. Uh, yeah. It's crazy. Like, I've done some stuff that you'd be like, why would anyone get that, you know? That turned out pretty cool. What's like your UFO spy fighting a spaceship? You know, what, is, there, is there? I know, like this is this is such a challenging question for people I should to ask say, artists. But octopus fighting a UFO. That's what I meant. I'm is just looking at this squirrel. So <laughs> not is there a favorite? Because I feel like it's an unfair question a lot of times to ask an artist because there's like different levels of meaning. But like, if you could only show the world one tattoo that you did, what would it be? Oh man, that's tricky. Um, it is very tricky. Because I think naturally, if you make art for a living, you should hate everything you make two months after you make it. You should be like happy with it when you finish it. You should feel confident and that your client got the best thing they could get. And then two months later, you should look back and be like, man, why was I drawing my waves like that then? Or whatever, you know, you yeah. should, because you should always have forward progression and you should always be changing your style uh, and approach and what you're looking for. I did a brown trout on a kid in Montana a few years ago that was just really big. It was just huge. Uh, it went from like his ankle to above his knee. It was just a brown trout chasing a streamer. And if I had to show one tattoo to represent what I want to do, it would probably be that. I did it. A, it's always, a, for some reason, it's just brown trout that really resonate with me. I like brown trout, and I think yeah. they make beautiful tattoos. There's some fish that don't translate as well, you know. But um, What doesn't translate well? Well, like a carp's going to look like a koi fish. You know, what I like about what I do for a living is that people haven't been doing it for 100 years. And so a lot of like the formulas for drawing and the what people expect, like when you look at a koi fish tattoo, it's drawn in sections. It's got a formula. It's in fifths. The head is the first fifth. The tail is the last fifth. The dorsal starts on the middle of the second fifth. The eyes on the first third of the head. If it's not that, it's wrong. 
it ha- it could, because it's been done for so long that these formulas were drawn before I was even born. And it makes it to where anytime you look at a Japanese koi fish, you're judging it up against the greats who originated it. And then like tigers, you've got guys like Tim Lehigh or Ed Hardy who really like pushed the American Japanese tiger yeah. and made it what it is. No one did that with trout. No one did that with game fish. So when I started doing that, there was no rules or regulations that I had to follow as long as it looked enough like a trout. So if I wanted to bend a pectoral fin back the other way, I could do it, even if it wasn't great for the anatomy of the fish. Because I don't do realistic tattoos. I do Japanese-influenced traditional tattoos. And so if I drew something that wasn't anatomically correct, as long as it had all the right fins, it, as long as it, I just wanted it to make it look like a better tattoo. Yeah. And certain fish lend themselves more to that. Like koi fish, I can't, I can't do a carp without comparing it to a koi fish because koi fish have been done for hundreds of years. But I can do a trout, yeah. you know, and, and I don't have to compare that to anything. So I'd say, yeah, trout tattoos bass stuff like that i always enjoy it uh redfish i like tattooing redfish like tattooing tarpon i think anything that you want to catch on a fly rod i want to put on someone's skin if they want it at least and if they got money you know that's important too that's a helpful piece (laughs) yeah money and the skin are my two requirements yeah so one of the things that's interesting just like spending so i met you probably two years ago at icast we got a chance to talk and then i followed you know, some of your videos and, and your art and everything. And I even tried to come to Arkansas last year and uh, couldn't swing it, couldn't figure it all out. Um, but I do hope to do that. My dad had a great trip to Arkansas and uh, and loved it and was raving about how beautiful it was and, and all of that. Come in the springtime. Come in the spring. Come in May. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I need to do that this year. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make that happen. If you can um, cut out five days in May – you can have a full spectrum experience uh, of of all the different variety of fishing we have, and you'll you'll love it there. You'll you won't ever have seen fishing like that in your life if you come in May. Yeah, it's pretty I'm, wild. I'm excited to get up there. I think I think it'd be fun to explore around, and um, I got to figure out just the you know I think I can do May, so we'll we'll try to make that happen. Yeah. But you know something interesting hanging out hanging out with you is you know there's a lot of stereotypes around skateboarding there's a lot of stereotypes around tattoos there's a lot of stereotypes around fishing fly fishing you're a man of a lot of stereotypes some people would say i'm in a house right now of a lot of stereotypes yes a lot of white guys in pastel shirts here yeah (laughs) it's it's a fly fishing stereotypical house yeah yeah i i i don't mind that yeah you know i i don't think uh you know naturally in particularly at the place in like politics and society that we live in stereotyping is not something that i want to encourage yeah but i don't mind being stereotypical but i was about to say i feel like you're not and and not that these i'm not saying these stereotypes are right i'm saying if somebody were to say i have a friend who skateboards i have a friend covered in tattoos i have a friend who fly fishes and is really into fly fishing i feel like in all of those areas that for a lot of people, you behaviorally aren't what they expect. Oh, that's good. That's you're, good. Because I feel like you're kind. Um, <laughs> you, you you don't take yourself too serious. And then within the fly fishing realm, you know, last night we're having a, a, a fun conversation around people's views on, you know, if someone can own a spot or own the intellectual property of the spot yeah. or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you're not afraid to push against some of the 
stereotypes, which I guess, full circle here, now I'm going to confuse everyone, including myself, is a little bit of a stereotype of the the rebellious, I don't have to do what you tell me to do or be like how you expect me with the skating. The the thing is, is I have contradicting stereotypes. I think to be stereotypical of like a fly fisherman isn't necessarily a bad thing as long as it truly represents your own identity. As long as you're not just trying to be the stereotype. But I think to be like, oh, that guy's just a skateboarder. He's the stereotypical skateboarder. I think that means that you're just fully embodying what it means to be that. And as long as you're not forcing it and trying to be something you're not, I yeah. don't think that being stereotypical is an insult. You know, I, but I have three, because I was raised in skateboarding and brought up in, uh, as an adult tattooing. Uh, so I have three different things that I do that do contradict each other a little bit because I might be a little outside the box for your stereotypical fly fisherman. Tattooing in the time frame that I was brought in, it has changed. I, everyone, you know, in all aspects, everything that you do in love changes as you go. And tattooing has changed significantly, and how people enter it has changed a lot. But at the time frame that I was brought in, it was still pretty uh, rough and tough. Yeah. I like to say I got in at the tail end of when it was still good, but everything's kind of like that. It was, uh, you had to have leather skin. Part of your apprenticeship was kind of getting put down all the time and like, being belittled and it was to make you firm so that you wouldn't let clients walk on you and you wouldn't let the drunk guy who comes in the door push you around like you had to handle it and I think that stereotype from being in tattooing then and how that shaped me in my communication with fly fishermen doesn't fit the fly fishing stereotype because I don't believe in posturing and I don't believe you know and I don't mind getting punched in the face I have no problem with it. I don't want to get punched in the face. If anyone's listening to this thing and they want to punch me, I would encourage you not to do it. But I, uh, if someone's being a jerk or disagreeing and I loudly disagree with them and they want to get up and fight me, it's not the end of the world to me because as long as they don't take my eyeball out or break my hand, I can still do my job the next day. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I might be contradicting myself right now, but I feel like I've taken – all the parts of me that were raised in skateboarding and all the parts of me that were brought up in tattooing and in fishing to become who I am. And I, I, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with what I got. And I think in my communications with people, like, you know, it's really hard to change someone's mind on anything. And I don't really need to change someone's mind, mm-hmm. but as long as, as long as I can stand my ground and articulate the way that I'm feeling or my presence when someone wants to talk about owning a fishing spot or, Particularly when it's like salt water, you know, because you can't own it. Uh, I usually can stand my ground. And tattooing, you're, you become a small talk expert because you have a different client in your chair every couple hours. And you're changing their body for the rest of their life. So they're always going to remember you. You know, like that's an experience that people don't do every day. People don't get tattooed every day. Yeah. So they always carry that experience with them, and it's important to be able to communicate openly, freely, make a lasting impression while being kind. Because if you do a bad job, or or if you're a dickhead, like I've got tattoos from people who were so rude to me that no matter how good the tattoo is, I can't like it because it was a bad experience. And I never want to bring that to the table. So I think that being firm, standing your ground, being kind and polite, having your one-liners and your charm where you can push someone in the right direction, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's all important. And I think that's all been shaped for my career. 
to and now that's why I can talk to fly fishermen the way that I do about their thoughts and processes. And yeah. I can be firm. I can have my quips and my one-liners to get my point across without ever being insulting. You know, yeah. a lot of times people think uh, people think that you're being on the offense just because you can you, you might use profanity or something like that. That's just my culture, you know, which I think I've done an okay job during this podcast about yeah. not, not letting them fly. But I... Uh, if I tell someone something aggressively, they might think I'm being rude, but I'm not. I'm just talking to them about fishing and yeah. Well, you said the word posturing, and I know that's something that you that you actually do care about as far as trying to help people understand. You know, I, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure that people feel like they have to do posturing. Can you explain your definition of posturing and why it's bad for fishing? Posturing is just trying to make yourself look bigger than you are in the point of aggression. Um, I don't think posturing is necessarily like, like if I go into an art community, me trying to tell them that I'm successful somewhere else so that they could accept me, you know, which I would never fucking do, but, um, I I would never do that. But it, it, uh, it posturing what I consider is like trying to make yourself look like a tough guy. And, 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 in all aspects, where it's like, I've been guiding this river for 20 years. I, I earned it, you know, or whatever. Just trying to, uh, cutting someone's tires, you know, who's out fishing a river because they got out-of-state plates. That shit happens. In Montana, it happens everywhere. Here I said I wasn't, you know, doing pretty good at... Well, you're, it, you're, yeah, you I know you're, allowed, with, you're allowed to cuss you. Yeah, know, okay, right? cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Maybe I'm, we should have co- covered that at the beginning. Yeah. Well, they did, uh, Joe Rogan really paved the way for... Uh, all profanity. Yeah. I think you're okay. Give him something there. (laughs) I, uh, yeah, I think a lot of times when people, uh, particularly in saltwater, but it happens a lot in closed water fisheries, like rivers where Mm -hmm. you have a local guide community and people who've made their living off of a public natural resource for 20 years. And they feel the need to protect something that they don't actually own. Mm -hmm. It makes for this pissing contest or chest beating. You know, where it's like a gorilla beating on the chest. That's like, that's what I consider posturing. And I am always very clear in saying that I do not think I'm a tough guy. I'm, I'm not, a t- I know tough guys. I have no desire to be one of them. So when I say stuff like posturing and, and stuff like that, or if I tell someone that they're doing that, I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not trying to be aggressive. I'm, I'm just talking to them realistically about how I'm reading their situation. And I, I think that that is bad for fly fishing because I think our community should be welcoming. Yeah. And if you can't buy it and you can't have a lease, like, like a deed, then I don't think you own it. And so if I find your fishing spot on my own and you show up and you're mad that I'm in your spot, you, you don't own it. And I don't owe you, you know, that, that mindset that, that is, so occurring i understand it because you want to protect your hustle that's how tattooing is it was you don't hold the door for people if you apprentice someone they're going to open a shop down the street and they're going to compete with you and take money out of your pocket you might get two years out of them making money for you before they go so if you don't want that to happen you don't apprentice anyone you don't hold the door you don't give away the secrets of the trade just in the past 10 years since the rise of social media and instagram and stuff like that when it's really become popular you can learn to tattoo on Instagram today. You yeah. can get all the information there is. There's guys showing you what they order. They tag their needle companies, all that. That was not a thing 10 years ago. Yeah. No one would talk about the products they used. They wouldn't talk about any of it. And fishing 
has kind of become that where there's so much information out there. But if ultimately, like, if if I'm in your fishing spot mm-hmm. and you're mad about it, but you don't own the land, you should be mad at yourself for not getting there before me. It's not my fault, you know. I understand, dude, because when you're fishing, you got two types of people. You got it's a John Garrett quote, which do you know who John Garrett is? Mm-mm. Saltwater guys, man. I don't know anything about this. Yeah. <laughs> so John Garrick's a writer, fishing writer, written a lot of books. He's a trout fisherman, but he fishes for everything. Exceptional human, you know, mm-hmm. beautiful, beautiful with words. He's a wordsmith for sure. Mm-hmm. Very eloquent in the way he writes. And you feel like you're talking to an old friend when you read his books. And he has a quote that says there's two types of people like when you're out fishing. There's the people you're fishing with and the assholes. Everyone else. They're yeah. in my spot. They're low-holding me. They're this and that. As long as you're being ethical. Like, I'm not going to come up next to you when you're fishing, or I'm not going to low-hole you, or if you're in a drift, I'm not going to, you know, try to cut your drift off so I can get there first because I have etiquette. But if it's a creek or a, a flat and I'm there first, I don't owe that to anyone. I'm not going to slide in on anyone. Yeah. But I, I feel like there's so much ownership in, in fly fishing and the way that we approach it, and there's people who want to essentially beat on their chest and be upset with you because you're fishing and you love fishing and they love fishing and the two things you love are the exact same thing and instead of being kind-hearted they just want to be angry and throw a fit be passive aggressive uh and i should say this also when i say the word posturing i think if i was on someone's flat and they came up and kicked my ass I wouldn't think they were posturing i would think they were a man of action you know there's a difference and course i don't want to get my ass kicked while i'm out fishing and get my rod broke or whatever but i have more respect for someone who would be direct if they're going to be an asshole as long as they're direct about it the whole like throwing your hands in the air from your boat or talking trash about someone at the fishing bar later that day because they were in your spot that's your own fault should have been there earlier i don't know i'm i mean i talk in so much circles and i'm caffeinated now you know yeah no it's good it's it's good all right here's the last thing i want to do Give us the rundown on a few of your your favorite tattoos that you have, because people are afraid to ask people about tattoos. Because you have the guy with no shame, right? That's like, so what's the meaning of the bird? And then yeah. you have the people who like aren't going to say anything. Give us a couple. Just give us a couple meaningful tattoos that you have. There's a, you know, who Robert Crumb is. No. He's a he's a artist. You okay. know, um, he's been gone a while now, but he. Uh, really affiliated with like the grateful dead and stuff like that but like not that i'm not a big dead fan i don't want to sound like that but uh he drew this guy mr natural it was like the keep on trucking graphic that you've seen all that robert crump and he would do like big amazonian women he was really into big hairy women and that translated into his art uh he's got a comic and it's this character mr natural he kind of looks like a mix between a wizard and god you know he's just like this all-knowing guy there's a really good little single strip of his where mr natural's walking down the road he's kind of in the keep on trucking pose with the elongated leg coming out someone's like mr natural what does it all mean and he's like don't mean shit (laughs) you know as he's walking like the answer to life like it doesn't you know it don't mean anything and i uh I like that when it comes to tattooing. I feel like if you're uh, a normal client who has a few tattoos, you might go in and get something that's like, oh, my grandfather, which I have yeah, those. Yeah. I have yeah, those yeah. tattoos that represent people and things and 
times in my life, but a lot of it is just art collection. Yeah. I don't really have a lot of favorites. I have ones that I'm more proud of. Like yeah. I've got, you know, my torso done and I'm proud of that one because I sat for 25 hours on my chest and stomach and I'm, I'm happy to have that, but I don't like have anything that's super favorable. I have a net in the palm of my hand yeah. and that's probably the most practically used one because I can put little fish in my palm and feel like goofy and fun yeah, for a minute. Yeah. But I don't have, uh, I don't have deep rooted meaning to all of them that I just like cling to. I don't think they need that. Yeah. What about stories though? As far as like, are there some not because of what the the image represents, but just you were talking about? There's you have some tattoos that you can't like because the person was being such a big jerk. Yeah. Are there certain ones that you're just like, man, I look at this tattoo and it brings me back to that place, and it's a certain special one. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, probably. Probably if I went through, um, but I've been tattooed like 250 different people. And if I really thought about them that much, like I'd still be in bed. I'd yeah. be trying to figure out what happened. You know, it, uh, it's, I feel like it's just a part of your skin, just like a mole or a freckle or a scar that like after maybe the first three weeks, you don't really think about them anymore. So I'm sure that there's some that have like great attachment, you know, uh, like my hand, I went to Disneyland right after I got this. I got it by Kyle Kroll in Anaheim, California. Uh, this hook on my finger has bass blood in it. I caught a large mouth and I laid my hand on the large mouth to get the hook tattooed. And we put bass blood in the pigment. I'm surprised I still have a finger, you know, like, yeah. it was disgusting, you know, but, but like, I mean, I've got something for all of them. Yeah. Some of them are just like, I made an appointment and I showed up, you know, but there's, there's a lot there. But I don't think about that when I look at it. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't really spend a lot of time looking at them because it's just my arms. You know, I'm used to them. You don't go to the coffee shop in the morning and just kind of put a little baby oil on your body. Yeah, and just like your, exfoliate uh, and try yeah. to, No, you know, you notice other people's tattoos and you, mm. you might like, I don't spend a lot of time wondering anymore where it's like, oh, I wonder why he got that. I'll just, I might notice something, but you don't really notice your own after yeah. a little while. People think that. They think they're going to look, if you're not tattooed at all, uh, which a lot of people listening to this probably have zero or maybe one. And they think, what am I going to get that I'm going to love for the rest of my life? And that's the mindset. That's why a lot of people say it. I would get a tattoo. I just don't know what I would want forever. That is the dumbest shit you can say. You don't know. Everybody's got something they don't like about themselves. I lost my hair when I was 23 years old. You know, yeah. like, I don't love that. You know, yeah, it's like yeah. there's, there's all that. But it's just part of who you are. And like getting something put in your skin once it's there. It just becomes a part of who you are. You don't look at it every day. It's not like you're picking the shirt you're going to wear for the rest of your life. You're getting something based on that temporary moment in time. It's your current self making a decision for your future self, which is neat. You know, it's a neat thing. It's like ha doing anything. It's like buying a house or having a kid or anything like that. You're just making a, a decision for later. But you don't have, it's not a big decision because it's just going to be something that's there that you yeah. you don't have to acknowledge and you're going to be used to. I'm, I'm not encouraging people to run out and get tattoos that they don't like or anything like yeah, that. I'm yeah. just saying that people think it's going to be this big, dramatic, like, I got to have it forever. It's got to be perfect. You're not going to notice it after a month of having it. It's just going to be a part of your skin. And you might love it. You might not love it. But it's just a part of your skin. You're not going to look at it every day. I, I've got writing on my arm that I don't read every day. I've got writing that when I see, I know what it says. You know, I don't need to read it. Like, I'm reading your hat. I can, yeah. you know, acknowledging the words. It's just, I know what, I know it's there. 
people get writing on their arms and think they're going to sit there and read it every day like it's a pamphlet about themselves. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's it's not that. It's just a part of your skin. And so, I think. I mean, I, I'm sure that some of mine have meaning. Some of them are done by my best friends. I've got tattoos from people that have died. Not just for people that have died, but from people where it's like, oh, my buddy did this, and then he killed himself or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, I have stuff like that, and I wouldn't trade those for the world, but I never think about them. Mm-hmm. I never like lay in bed and look at it and be like, oh, I miss him. I wish that wouldn't happen or anything. It's just part of my skin. Yeah. Which, you know, you've got some stuff on your arm and you're like... Or, I have enough to be annoying to somebody who has a lot of ink. You yeah. Know? You know, me too, man. Hey, me too. Yeah. You're like, mm, yeah. That's no, okay. I think if, as, I'll get more. I'll get, maybe I'll get more today. Depends yeah. on if you Part get of the a, club. Yeah. If you get a spot somewhere. If we'll I get, see. If I get some sleep. Yeah. <laughs> if I go take a rest somewhere. Uh, no, I want, I want a, a, a non-sleep Drew. Yeah, sleep deprived. Everybody, everybody gets the, the full sleep Drew. I want the sleep deprived Drew. Yeah. Well, a lot of people get that too. <laughs> I don't sleep much. I, I like I sleep probably four and a half hours a night on average. Wow, part uh, of the sleep elite, you think? Uh, say? No, I just have like uh, restless brain. My dad had it. His dad mm-hmm. had it. My dad has it still. Um, yeah, I I start art projects at midnight usually, and mm-hmm. I, I go to bed at three thirty, and I wake up at eight, uh, on average. And it's just part of it. And I never nap, you know. So it's like I'm. That wasn't too bad for me because you need to get normal. the Post Malone. Always, always tired. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think I'll do that. No like, face tats. As much face as tats in your future, you think? No, no. I don't want to do my face and my neck. I have my scalp done. My whole head's done under my hat. Okay. But uh, I don't. I don't have any desire to do that. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I'm not hating on it. Um, I just. Uh, I don't think it's for me. I'm not a big fan of it, and uh, it doesn't. Doesn't speak. To me too much yeah you know if i had it i mean when i got my head done i thought it was a really big move and i, I thought i was making this big step in life it was really scary where you're just committing to something like where your hands or anything like that where it's like i'm gonna get something that's uncoverable now i have a bodysuit of tattoos it's okay for me to get my hands or head done it's not like i'm just getting that as my first few you know but i i thought i was making this big step and after it healed you know i didn't see it and i didn't think about it just like you know what we're just yeah. talking about but I think a face tattoo, while you would get used to it, and it would just be a part of your face. I don't think that's in my future. Yeah, not not knocking anyone who has them, but yeah, not not my thing. Yeah, teach their own. Yeah, man. Well, hey, it's been fun to hang out and get this time with you down here in St. Augustine, and uh, looking forward to hopefully coming to Arkansas in May for a minimum of five days. Is what yeah, May. Me. Well, when I when I say that, we have warm water fisheries, we have cold water fisheries, and cold water fisheries are not close so you have to drive a couple hours from where i live and you don't want to be there for a half a day you want to get two days on the trout stream two days on the warm water at least you could probably do two and two but you have so much traveling involved but that's why i say five yeah but yeah warm water fishing then is incredible it is so fun it is like it's the best may is april late april through may it's really good well, I'm excited, dude, and I'm excited to catch them tilapia with you. In Texas, we'll have to go to Texas for Texas that. tilapia. I was catching them and letting them go, and you can't do that. I'm admitting to a crime because they're invasive species, but I didn't know because I don't know anything about tilapia. So I'd caught like a million of these things and let them go by the time that I found out I wasn't supposed to be letting them go. And yeah, is what it is. Hey, man, but you <laughs> confessed, so you yeah. know. Let hey, me confess to all my crimes real yeah. quick. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was I a wanted like, man for releasing tilapia. Well, I'm so used to not keeping fish, and I'm I'm not like just a catch and release fisherman. I think it's fine if people want to keep any fish and stuff yeah. like that. I'm just not used to doing it myself, and so I'd never take the stuff to keep fish. But I also just didn't know. I had no clue that they were invasive and that you're not supposed to put them back. And yeah, yeah, dude, I did it for a while, and then I found out. I, I felt like conflicted you know i was like i just won't fish for them anymore yeah you need to do a little uh instead of the keep them wet logo you need to keep them dry keep them dry yeah. the tilapia yeah. that looks like he's like croaking croaking over <laughs> like dehydrated yeah you know? i mean i could have like blended them and gave them to my cat or something like that you know i don't know how yeah. bony they are because i don't i don't really know they weren't giant tilapia they're caught a few good ones but like i mean i didn't want to keep these fish anyway. yeah i felt like I felt I was very conflicted. I, I seriously, I was like, well, I just won't fish for them anymore because I don't know. Also, I lived in a camper. You know, like yeah. my, my refrigerator was the size of a cooler, you know, like a small cooler. So it's yeah. like, I'm not trying to bring home fish all the time. Just yeah, like I a freezer fish. filled with tilapia fillets, yeah. you know. It, yeah, I was just like, I just won't do that anymore. Yeah. I'd actually filmed to make a YouTube video to teach people how to do it because everyone I talked to was like, you're catching those things, you know, like no one had like really figured it out. They'd be like, oh, I've, I've caught one and it was on accident or I had one eat something one time. And I was like, dude, I've got it pretty dialed right now. I'll make a video and send it to you so like people could have like visual aid and instruction. Yeah. And then I went and filmed the entire thing, like like a proper how-to. And then I found out that you couldn't let them go. And I was throwing every single one back in the video. And I was like... Okay, you I just can't. got a little bar on the bottom. Yeah, yeah like a little sensor. Oops. Yeah, yeah, yeah black it But out. I decided to just not post it, and then now here I am talking about it. Everyone. But now you're On national people. television. You're educating <laughs> people. You're educating people. Yeah, yeah, they'll learn. I mean, it might be not be that way here. I don't know if they're that kind of invasive here, but I'd, in Texas, yeah, you can't let them go. Well, man, what a, what a great time, dude. I appreciate it. I look forward to fishing, doing another podcast down the road, and hopefully getting some ink. It'll be man, fun. you know I talk, so I'll be there to talk. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much, dude. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Captain's Collective. We hope that you enjoyed our conversation together. Help us out by leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, and please continue to share with friends and family. Thanks for listening. This is the Captain's Collective.